Why Jesus? Why all the talk of crucifixions and the resurrection of the dead? The idea that our present reality can be radically transformed by one historical day from antiquity. Why does this one event persist to shake nations, stands against kingdoms, relentlessly remaining there in every test in time? Why does the life of one rabbi bring hope to the billions and peace beyond understanding, peace even in facing death? His axioms transcend culture, moving between and among every generation, offering new grace with each day to the poor and to the rich, to the young and to the old, each who calls his name. This is not just a page between the chapters of history, neither myth, metaphor, nor a line of spectacular exaggeration. His influence on every human life story is unfit to be placed into any existing category. No, Jesus isn't written into our story. Rather, our story is written into his. Every authority, even the grave, obeys his sovereign will. This is why we exalt the mighty name of Jesus over and over and over again. His victory has given us life. His mercies stand at the center of our faith. He alone holds the pen of history. He is the one true God, and at that, a God who died for us. Why rejoice? Why is this our anthem? The answer for why Jesus comes down to this. Jesus is at the center. His victory over the grave is written into every line between old and new, between death and life. There stands one historical reality, the resurrection of Jesus.
Friends, we are so glad to have you here this Easter to celebrate with us here in the room or joining us online. Uh, just want to welcome those of you. I met a few of you who are new, uh, and so thanks for taking a chance and, and coming here. We know it's a, it kind of takes courage coming to a new place, and so we're thrilled to have you. Want to invite you to do a couple of quick things. One is if you download our free app, you can go to your app store, type in Element City Church. On the third tile down, you'll see a connection card. We'd love to connect with you. We do that digitally and that will allow us an opportunity to follow up with you in the weeks to come. I promise we won't spam you, but we'd love to also meet you at our 10-minute party, which will be in the back uh, right after the end of the service for just 10 minutes. Uh, stop by. We'd love to hear your story a little bit, and so if that is you, we'd love to, to welcome you here for that. We always pray for the Church of the Week, and so this week is Holy Cross Church and Pete Rareman. There are a million plus people in Southern Arizona that aren't connected in any faith community, and we believe believe that it's the church, not just our church, that's going to reach people and help people, especially as we celebrate Easter. And all that this uh, entails and invites us into, we'll look at that in a little bit as we get ready to worship here a little bit longer. So would you just join me in praying a blessing over our time together tonight and for Holy Cross Church and Pastor Pete and his team there. So Father, we pause and we just want to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus. Everything we do tonight is for him, for his glory, and for his story to grow. And so, God, each one of us may be coming from a different place. Some of us maybe are into that story and walking with you for a long time. Some are maybe investigating spiritual things and maybe even have you at arm's length. I, I pray that tonight would be a night that you just continue to, to step forward as you seek, as you search for those that you love, those that you know. God, we pray for Holy Cross Church and Pastor Pete and their team there on the northwest side of town. We ask that you'd bless them. You'd watch over them, provide for them, lead them, guide them. And we pray for our time together tonight would just be an opportunity to lean into your Holy Spirit and what you want to do in this room, in this moment, in this time, in this day, in these hearts. Would you be active tonight as we praise you, as we worship you, as we continue in that even now, we pray. We're clearing off the surface You're coming into focus We're going back to the basics The glory of your face is the reason why we do this The winds of worship blowing Yeah, the doors of heaven open It's all about you 
Every story of a prodigal coming It's all about you Every story of revival I know It's all about you Your kingdom's all about life change Empty grace, amen. amen It's all about you Sing that again Every story of impossible miracles It's all about you Every story of a prodigal It's all about you Every story of revival I know It's all about you
will rise among the saints. My case transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh,
Jesus. We stand and worship you today. We thank you for your resurrection, that you are risen indeed, that you are alive, that you have conquered and shown not just that you have power over life, that you had power over the wind and over the waves and over all of creation. But when you rose, you showed us that you had power and victory over death as well. And so where your death showed us that you were fully human, it's your resurrection that shows us you're fully God. And so we stand in awe of you today. Jesus, would you come in this moment and just speak to our hearts? Would you move in power? We pray it all in your precious and your holy name. Everyone said, amen. 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 Happy Easter, friends. It is a great, great day. we have been in a series the last couple of weeks, uh, kind of looking at this idea of that, recognizing that we are all in a tug of war, if you will, uh, the spiritual battle. And maybe that is foreign to you. Maybe that's something that you're not quite sure. Well, I don't know if I, but the reality is what the scriptures say, what Jesus even spoke about is that we all live in this battlefield in, in a way that the enemy, our, uh, Satan, the devil, he wants to kind of get us a detour us away. We looked at the different things. And so we talked about the last couple weeks that we need to resist his lies. We need to resist giving him a seat at the table, if you will, giving him influence in our lives. And really the last thing we do is we resist in those ways, but we also rest. We don't work. We rest. What do we rest in? Well, we rest in the finished work of what we celebrate on Easter, the finished work of what Jesus accomplished in his life and his death, and most importantly, in his resurrection. He is risen, friends. He is risen indeed. That's the hope that we have in Christianity, is that we navigate this battle we're in, we actually get to be in a position in an identity of one who rests in the finished work of what Jesus accomplished for you and for me. And so as we approach Easter, I want us to kind of lean into that. I love that song that we just sang. It kind of gives the, the, the proclamation of everything of what Jesus did. So we, we understand the Christmas story because we, we see that story so much. But maybe we're less familiar, if we will, Uh, maybe around the Easter story. Uh, I I love what we got to do on Good Friday, uh, and we got to come to your living room, got to come on your phone in the sense of kind of leading through some reflections about the, the crucifixion of Jesus, what he went through, and reflecting on all what the scriptures have to say. Um, and so if you missed that, I invite you to go back to YouTube and find that. If you missed any of the last couple of weeks, maybe invite you to go back to that or in the app. And uh, if you have the app, you can open up and go down to sermon notes and follow along with me tonight. But I want to read uh, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark was written in about 65 or so, 62 AD. Uh, it's the first gospel account. In fact, it actually follows Peter's story. Peter's the one that's kind of reciting this. Mark's recording this and doing this. It's, what, it's the earliest gospel gospel account of the life of Jesus, this biography of Jesus to say, hey, he really is who he says he is. And so if you're here or you're tuning in online and you're, you're skeptical, that's okay. In fact, many of us were skeptical. Uh, we, we were like, I don't know if I buy the story. Is it, a, is it a myth? Is it a fable like Disney stories? Or is it a true account? And what the Gospels tell us is here's the account of Jesus, not the story of. This is the account of what actually happened. And I want us to wrestle with that a little bit today. So in Mark chapter 16, this is how the original text ends from verses 1 through 8 in Mark chapter 16. Uh, chapter, uh, verses nine through like the end of Mark, it's actually added as an addendum about back in the second century. So it's not in the earliest of manuscripts. So just this is how it ends the very first time we see it. Here's what happens. Mark records, when Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices that they might go anoint Jesus's body. Remember, they had to hurry down because Sabbath was coming. They had to get Jesus's body down. And so Joseph of Arimathea took it. They wrapped it in some spices that's what you did in the olden days because you didn't want it to, to, you wanted to help with the decaying process. And so they are going back now the day after Sabbath. Sabbath is over and they're going that third day. It's before sunrise or just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb and they ask each other, oh, I forgot, there's a giant stone that's like 
we are three women, how are we gonna move this stone? They began asking one another. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, just a reminder, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. That is always language for an angel, right? And so an angel is there on the, on the, on the right side, and they were alarmed. Anyone ever seen an angel? Don't raise your hand, maybe you have. I think if I ever did, I would be alarmed. Like that's out of the ordinary. That's not normal. His first words, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. And we see the, 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 the grave clothes were there, literally. So it's not that like someone stole the body, because if you stole the body, you'd steal the whole body. Like you wouldn't unwrap the body before you stole it. The grave clothes are still there. And then the angel says, but you go tell the disciples, and I love the next two words, and Peter. Remember, this is Peter's account. Mark is the only gospel that records this. Why? because this was a significant moment for Peter. Why? Because a couple days earlier, there was a significant moment for Peter when he denied even knowing Jesus three times, just as Jesus had told him he would, and he thought he blew it forever. But you go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And then it ends with this. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. That's how Mark's gospel ends. Now, in the second century, it's amended a little bit later because that seems like a weird way to end a story. Like, it seems a weird way to end a gospel account of Jesus' life. Like, why would you end like that? I don't know. Resurrection had never happened. I mean, Jesus had done it, but he was there. And so, like, a resurrection story is not normal. Here's what we know. The dead tend to stay dead. And truthfully, that's a heartache moment for many of you. Because you've lost someone that was meaningful and significant that you cared for, that was maybe gone too early gone too quick, and you know how the story goes, and you still live with the loss of that. And for that, I am sorry. I wish it was different. Every one of us understands the reality of what's transpiring, but this story ends. What a strange way to end a gospel account, but I think we're gonna see that the way this story ends is actually one of the reasons you can actually trust this account. One of the unique aspects of Christianity compared to any other faith religious movement is that it traces its origin to one particular event on one particular day in all of history. That is not true of Buddhism, of Judaism, of Islam, of atheism. One day there was no church and then suddenly overnight there was. There was suddenly a group of people who believed in the resurrection of Jesus and even suffered the most extraordinary things for his sake, for the truth that they proclaimed. Why would they do that? Uh, The four biographies, if you will, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, They all spend a majority of their time talking about the last week of Jesus' life. Do you know any other biographies that focus on one week of someone's life? No, you won't find them. Why? There was something uniquely unifying about that and significant enough that in their biography accounts of Jesus, they would spend a good proportion of time on something that happened. Not just what was taught, not just miracles that occurred, Not just things that took place, but something. Like the pinnacle event, something transpired that was unique. It's because these early followers had remarkable unity in the one event that created the movement. And that is this resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
In our day, people may think the resurrection is good news, but I think many people struggle to see it as true news. The thinking goes like this, well, ancient people, you know, they didn't really have science, so they were probably gullible. When Jesus died, there's probably some people that had a vague sense of like they were inspired by him, so they just kind of kept talking about that inspiration of Jesus. He was just an inspiring guy. This whole idea of being raised from the dead, I don't know if I'd buy that, but that theory is nonsense, and it doesn't explain why the followers of Jesus who were so caught off guard themselves by this reality that took place and how the resurrection of Jesus and this account not only changed them forever, it began to change the world. See, the resurrection took place and the women knew that it was true news, but I think even they struggled to find out and transpire and understand is this good news because there's something that's so off about this. Why can we know the resurrection happened? Well, again, we may think people in the ancient times were gullible, but C.S. Lewis would call that chronological snobbery. Ancient people were not stupid. You are not stupid. We all understand that dead things stay dead. It's just reality. It reminds me of Ken Davis who told a story of uh, this woman who was looking out in the backyard and noticed the German shepherd had somehow had a small animal in its mouth, shaking it like crazy. And she realized it was the neighbor's rabbit. And so they, the tension that they had had with the neighbors, they had tried to work things out, but they were struggled. Their dog would jump into their yard and our dog into their yard and all that kind of stuff. And so she went out with a broom and forced the dog to drop the rabbit who was dead. She freaked out and got tense in that moment. She realized this is gonna create more tension between us. I've gotta do something that it can't be our fault. I can't believe this happened. And so she took the dead rabbit in and washed it in the sink and got the blow dryer and blew it all dry and combed it and then snuck over into the backyard and propped it back up in the cage and snuck back over into their house and was watching out the window and finally went about her day until about an hour and a half later when she heard screams, ah, as her neighbor is screaming. And she leaps over the yard and says, what is wrong, what's wrong? And the neighbor says, our rabbit! Our rabbit died two weeks ago, and now it's back. <laughs> dead things stay dead. Whether you're in the first century or the 21st century, we know this reality. People in the ancient world are just like us. Rabbits stay dead when they're dead. Rex resurrection does not happen until actually one day it did. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar. He says these words. There were other wannabe messianic movements in the first century. Uh, people who would claim to be the Messiah. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome, as Jesus did. And in not one other single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointment in the followers claiming that there was resurrection. Why? They knew better. Dead things stay dead until they didn't. Something changed the script. Something changed the story. If you're a follower of a particular would-be Messiah and they were crucified by Rome, you had two choices, disband the movement or look for a new would-be Messiah. This movement got resurrected, literally. It looked like the end of the story. That's what we celebrate with Good Friday, but the reason we call it good is we know it's not the end of the story. It's actually just beginning to pick up steam. Why? Because two things happened that help us lean into the reliability of the resurrection. Witnesses saw the tomb empty, and Jesus appeared to his followers. It was the combination of these two factors that are overwhelming. See, if the tomb, uh, if it was just an empty tomb, well then you could make the argument that people stole his body. And people took it and they propagated kind of the story of resurrection, but 
Jesus appeared to people. In fact, it's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. You can read his account written within a couple decades of this happening of saying, here's all the people Jesus appeared to, over 500 at one point. On the other hand, people could report, okay, well, maybe people are just hallucinating if it's just reports. But if the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, and you can't produce a body, well, then that counteracts that argument. And so nobody expected no body, but there was none. The graves of heroes, especially crucified Messiah wannabes, was commonly venerated as shrines around there. The problem is Jesus' tomb is empty. What do you do with that? There is yet another reason to know that the resurrection really happened. There's reliability in it. We see it in the very first verse of Mark chapter 16. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salam. Notice all three are women. Now, nowadays, we may not notice much about that, but in the first century, women were so low in status that they were not regarded as credible witnesses. In fact, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. And so this is a slam dunk proof to the history that this is not just mere legend. Have you ever heard of Celsus? Not the temperature guy, but Celsus was a Greek pagan philosopher who lived about 80 years after the life of Jesus, and he was very, very against Christianity. In fact, he wrote a number of books that tried to refute Christianity. He gave all the reasons why he was formidable in his opposition to that, but one of his strongest arguments at the time was against the truth of it because one of the reasons we know that Christianity cannot be true is because the accounts of the resurrection were based on the testimony of women. That was his argument at the time. But here's what I know about women. They are way smarter than me, and my wife is way smarter than me. Nothing gets past her. In fact, what's, what's silly is to actually say, in fact, what's, I think, one of the most reliable realities of this is that all four gospel accounts record that it's women who see Jesus first, and they are told to go and report to the disciples. To the disciples, you'll read in Matthew and you'll read in Luke where they were hesitant. Uh, is this really true? In fact, Peter and John take off running to the grave, and then they become convinced not just because of what the women said, but because of what they see and what they saw, or the lack thereof of what they saw. It's extraordinary that Mark points this out. Why does this matter in the first century? Because if you're writing a legend or a myth, you would rewrite the story. And this would be a glaring error in the first century. And so you would rewrite it. You would write a different ending. You wouldn't have four biographies or four accounts say the same thing unless, <laughs> unless it's not just good news, but it's actually true news. See, when you have the, the resurrection of Jesus being accounted for in so many ways, the only plausible explanation of why all four gospels include this is because the women were the ones who found the empty tomb and the tomb was, in fact, empty. 2,000 years ago, Rome was the most powerful empire on earth. Jesus had 12 disciples, about 120 followers. 2,000 years later, Caesar is a salad, while two billion people claim to follow Christ. How does that happen? Well, it's because it's not just good news. It's true news. The story of resurrection changes everything. Uh, can we circle back and just listen to the words of the angel that day of what he said, Mark chapter 16, verses six and seven? They're on their way. How are we gonna move this stone? Oh, the stone is moved. They walk in and the angel says, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. I know that's partly what's drawing you here as you fear the story is over. And you're only coming to help take care of the body because maybe there's an ache in your heart because you can't believe it's over. And you're trying to just do something to bring closure for you. But you don't have to be afraid. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. We're all looking for something. He's risen, he's not here. See the place where they laid him. See for yourself. Here's the truth. Now you go and you tell the disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you and he will, you will see him just as he told you. Don't be alarmed, the angel says. I love how every time in the angel's presence we see throughout scripture, this is always their first comment. Don't be afraid. God's presence is trying to get close and you don't have to be fearful of God. There's news, there's information. He's actually trying to break into you. You don't have to have fear rule you. In our world, we love to speak of fear ruling over people. In fact, we like to try to promote it. A lot of people do. But in the gospel, fear, perfect love cast out fear, we're told in the New Testament. That's what Easter introduces to us, this perfect love of God. You are looking for Jesus, aren't you? I think what the angel is declaring in that moment is we all have a look, we all have a search, we all have something that we're seeking for, the ultimate. And he's actually saying, you're seeking the right thing. You're just actually seeking it in the wrong place. Because he's not here. He's risen. See, the story that you're trying to find and create or fabricate or, or move is not the story that you think. It's actually a so much better kind of story. In fact, the story that you're living that's unfolding in your life, you may feel like it's the end. And it may be the darkest season of your life. But it's not the end when Jesus is with you. Because we follow a risen Savior who is still active, still very much alive, that we can look to him to find the satisfaction and significance and the meaning that we're all searching for in life. You are looking for Jesus, but he's not here. See the place that you thought he'd be, but there's a different place. This is begins to challenge the mind. Maybe there's something Jesus has for you. Reminder. There's a dozen of wannabe messianic movements that were being promoted back in the early, before the first century and after in the first and second century. In almost every case, the messianic leader is killed, executed, it's very similar to Jesus, and the movement ceases. It's over, it's done, period, end of story. But this is a comma in the grand scheme of history when it comes to Jesus. It's actually a movement that's just now getting started and beginning to pick up steam. What made it different? Well, the Christian church says that the reason it was different is because this messianic movement found that its leader was killed, but its leader got back up. He, he rose from the dead and that's what changed everything. The angel declares that's what changes everything in this story. He is risen. He has victory over death, victory over everything that says to you in your life, it's over. No, no, it's never over when Jesus is around. When Jesus is available and he's walking with you in your life, it ain't ever over. It can actually turn the page. What looked like the end is actually the beginning. Endings don't have the final word. God has the final word. Resurrection is possible, and it changes everything. Just read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, if this didn't happen, our faith is useless, and we should all go home. But if it did, it changes everything. Why? Because resurrection, that's what it does. And he will go ahead and meet you in Galilee, just like he said. A couple of chapters earlier, Mark chapter 14, verse 28, here's what Jesus says to his followers before the Last Supper. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. BRB. I'll meet you there. They don't understand. This seems weird. Like, you're going to be crucified. I think that part kind of slipped their mind. Like, because dead things stay dead. Like, that's what I know. 
But Jesus, even beforehand, says, listen, after I'm crucified, yeah, I'm going to get back up and go to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. What? I'm sure that blanked out for them. It would for me, because that's not how real life works. But Jesus' words can be trusted. He means what he says. He finishes what he starts. What he actually says happens. He follows through on what he declares. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. That's why he can speak to a storm and tell it to stop. And it does. That's why he can speak to a dead person. Get up. And they do. That's why he can say to himself, I'm done. Third day, time to go. There he is. That's why he can say to the church, the church is born. And nothing's going to stop it. And 2,000 years later, through mess and mayhem, the church continues on. The movement of Jesus is not stopped by anything or anyone. Why? Because Jesus is trustworthy. And what he says comes true. Easter invites us to keep seeking Jesus. He is alive and he loves to be found. He loves to seek and save the lost. Jesus loves those who seek after him. The writer of Hebrews says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That's what transpired that first original Easter. He was being sought. You're looking for Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. He's gonna find you, just like he said. And then we see Mary Magdalene's story. Jesus She thinks he's the gardener, and he says, no, no, I'm here. She meets Jesus. The disciples are locked away in a room, huddling, fearful. They're coming for us next. Jesus shows up in the room. What's up? Me. I'm up. Story continues. It's rolling forward. And for 40 days, He spends time with his disciples, letting them see the bigger picture. See, what you thought the story was? No, no, no. See, you thought I came to overthrow Rome, but you forgot the enemy is way bigger than just some country. The enemy was sin and death, and I needed to take care of that. The enemy is the enemy, and he's actually going to try to detour you in life. He's going to try to slip in at your table and influence you and take you down the road, but I've come that you may resist him. I've overcome sin and death. And now the invitation of the gospel is Jesus made a way for us to have a right relationship with a perfect and holy God. Not based on your effort. Why? Because we get to rest in the finished work of Jesus. In his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Being a disciple of Jesus is not just praying a prayer and kind of getting the monopoly, get out of hell card. No, no, that's not being a disciple of Jesus. That's not being a follower of him. It's not just praying a prayer, okay, I want the Willy Wonka golden ticket, I can go to heaven when I die. Listen, buy chocolate. Chocolate's awesome. But you want something more than chocolate. You want assurance that your life right here is not all there is. You want assurance that you're not alone in life and that you will never be alone again and that there is an afterlife that's available to you not based on what you try to do and try to accomplish and get there, but simply based on a gift that's given to you. It's by faith in Jesus. It's a gift that's offered that if you choose it. See, his life, his death, his resurrection demands a decision. Jesus said these words to his early followers, to his disciples, to his apprentices, people who would apprentice their life after him. Here's the two words he said, follow me. That's what he says. That's what he said in the first century. It's what he says in the 21st century. Follow me. The question then gets asked, will you? Will you? Will you just keep following the ways of the world around you and what the world offers and says, hey, here's what real success, here's what real life, here's what happiness is. Seek after these things. Will you just follow your own command? I'm the captain of my own soul. I'll choose what I want to do. Sure, you can do that. 
And I might ask you, if we were sitting at coffee, how's that working for you? How's that really working for you? Maybe the invitation is to take Jesus seriously. If he's a guy who can predict his own death and come back from it, my money's on him, not on me. My money's on him and what he accomplished and what he did, and I'm all in on that because I'm not good enough. I'm just not. I know me. My hunch is you know the real you. And you know the real you stacked up to other people, he probably doesn't measure up. The real you stacked up to the perfection of Jesus doesn't measure up. The real you before a perfect and holy God probably doesn't measure up. I know me, and I know it falls far short. But the gospel is, Jesus said, I love Jack. He loves you. That, that he came, and then he lived the life that you couldn't live. And then he made a way for us to have a right relationship with a perfect and holy God by simply putting our faith and trust in him. Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says this in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This isn't a magical prayer. You're not gonna find a magical prayer in the Bible. What you're gonna find is this. Do you believe Jesus really is who he says he is? And do you believe that he was resurrected? and that he came back to life. And if that's the case, then you can put your faith in him and you will be saved. Again, not based on your effort, not based on your energy or what your philosophy is or what you muster up. Simply based on what Jesus did and what he accomplished. We rest in the reality of this story. Because this is not just good news, this is true news that offers an invitation for us. And so maybe uh, you're a person who's been kind of on a spiritual search. Next week, we're gonna offer a baptism celebration Sunday. We've got five people who are going, kind of taking that step of baptism. Baptism, what we know, the two ordinances Jesus gave us, the Lord's Supper, to do this in remembrance of him, and, and to follow him in baptism. He was baptized. So to do this in remembrance, so kind of this idea of it's a picture of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, that we, we die to our old, self, our old self or we're raised to live in new life with him based on what he accomplished, based on Easter, what we remember of the Easter story. And so if you've ever thought about declaring your faith in Jesus, then I'm just gonna boldly ask you, you come back next week, bring a dark pair of shorts, bring a dark shirt. We'd love to baptize you and celebrate you and to invite you into that. Maybe that's something that you're ready to do. Then I'm just gonna invite you, friend, boldly. Then take that step and declare that not just for yourself, but declare that for, before your brothers and sisters who would wanna celebrate you going forward in faith. We invite you to do that. Uh, maybe today is here a day where you're like, man, I just, I think this is what I wanna give my life to. And if that's you, I'm just gonna invite you to pray a prayer with me. Our worship team's gonna come, we're gonna sing another song, we're gonna end our service tonight in celebrating Easter. But I'm just gonna invite you where you are in your seat, if you've never asked Jesus, to kind of be the savior and leader of your life, then maybe tonight's the night for you. And maybe for some of you, you have done this, but I just invite you to maybe kind of rededicate your life. Maybe just kind of re-up in the sense that we do this all the time. We show up at an altar in a wedding and we say, I declare, I pledge. We show up in court and we have to give a declaration. We have to pledge the truth. We're declaring something, we're proclaiming something. That's all this prayer is, is a proclamation of the heart. And so maybe you just wanna pray with me. I just invite you to close your eyes. Maybe pray these words. Jesus, I trust in what the angel said that first Easter. That ultimately, I'm looking for you. 
I may not even know it. But I declare today that Jesus, you are trustworthy. And that you will be found by those who seek you. And that's me today. I seek you. I turn to you today and I place my trust in you. Forgive me, heal me, lead me forward in faith. I declare with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that you were raised. Thank you for saving me. Would you help me to follow you, my risen Savior? Father, that's what we pray, that each one of us would mean those words, that maybe some of us tonight for the first time declaring that, proclaiming that in prayer. Maybe for some of us, it's kind of a a re-up moment, kind of realignment, if you will, of our soul. Jesus, we pause this Easter to remember that the resurrection It's not just a declaration of good news, that there's life with God through faith in Jesus, but it's also true news, reliable, trustworthy, that you accomplish always what you say. You tell us in the Gospel of John that when you are lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself. So Jesus, we lift you up this Easter? Would you draw our hearts to follow after you? This next song, we invite you to stir us afresh and anew, we pray. Oh, praise 
King Jesus, glory to God in heaven. Your blood still speaking, your love still reaching. All praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing. All praise, King Jesus, glory to God in Jesus is the one who entered into this world so that he could enter into your world. He paid the price. He paved the way for us to have a relationship with God through faith in him. Maybe tonight was a night that you made that declaration, that proclamation for the very first time. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Welcome to the family of God. There's room here for you. Uh, we want to help champion you as you follow after Jesus, continue to grow one step at a time, one season at a time with him. That's what Jesus said, follow me. Just align your life with me and let's, let's grow and let's go.
And so keep following after him. Uh, we'd love to celebrate with you. If that is your decision, I, I'm going to be at the 10-minute party to meet some new folks. But if you want to stick around, I would love to have a conversation with you. You can catch Pastor Lyle outside here in a moment. Um, again, thank you so much for being a part of our Easter celebration here. I invite you back next week is our Baptism Sunday celebration, kind of a giant worship night. Lyle's going to share a little bit about baptism and just what does it mean to follow Jesus. And then we're going to open it up. And we're going to give you a chance if you want to. I've got five people already, but if you have never been baptized and you want to step forward in that, then here's all we're asking you to do. Uh, we got towels. Bring a dark pair of shorts and a dark shirt. We'll give you an element shirt too. And uh, we'd love to celebrate you and your story, what God's doing in you. We'll take a picture. We got stuff for you. And we're a church that meets at night. We never have donuts. That is so sad. We're changing that next week. We're going to actually have donuts to celebrate because even people who go to church at night should have donuts sometimes. So we're doing that to celebrate people who are going forward in faith. And we'd love to invite you to celebrate with us for a few minutes after service next week. Hey, every Sunday, there's a group of people to go out to dinner. Tonight is at La Priya Suiza off Speedway, Rosemont. If you're new and you're looking to connect with some people, we got anywhere from usually like 20 to 50 people that go out to dinner. So we just invite you to, to jump in with that gang in about 25 minutes. They'll be there. Again, the 10-minute party in the back. In a couple weeks, we're going to Uve Baseball, which actually won this. See, we prayed for them and it helped. Okay. Uh, they won. It's a fundraiser for our kids. Uh, our students are going to youth camp. Uh, so this is one of the fundraisers we do. We do another one, uh, dessert auction at the end of May. We'll tell you more about that later. But uh, you can actually buy tickets in the foyer. They're 10 bucks. Next week, we may even give away five tickets. I'm not saying we are. Okay, we are. Um, so if you're here, you might have a chance to win. Uh, and so uh, glad to have you here. Happy Easter to you. May you walk in the resurrection power of our risen Savior, Jesus, until we see you next week. God bless you. If you're new, I'll see you at the 10-minute party.